Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And we're going to study the Word of God tonight. How many of you love the Word of God? Man, love the Word of God. So thankful for His Word. And, um, you know, you have to discipline your mind to read the Word of God. You know, sometimes our minds, especially in this day and age, our minds are so easily distracted with a lot of things. And when you sit down to read something like the Bible that's not fiction, you know, and it's, it's real and it's, it's historical events and it's letters and things like that, but it's God's Word, your mind, if, it, if your mind is undisciplined and your mind is untrained, it can have a tendency to, to wander and get bored and things like that. But, you know, your mind has to be disciplined and trained to read the Word of God, especially in this day and age that we live in. Uh, when, when people can sit down and watch hours and hours and hours of Netflix and, and TV and, and we're just constantly got phone today, you know, turning into the church, I missed the green light arrow because the person in front of me, I could see through their back shield window, I could see their phone up like this, just, you know, arrow turn green, turn yellow, turn red. I gave a little honk, you know, drove on through, just friendly. You know, it's not one of those ones you hold down, just a little, as friendly as it could be, but, you know, it's like, man, you can't even get through a stoplight without looking at your phone. So your mind is just so used to being constantly entertained, 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 stimulated, stimulated, entertained, and so then to sit down and discipline your mind to read the Word of God, we're, we're losing that. I think, I think a lot of people are losing that uh, because I talk to Christians and they say, well, I have, you know... When I have a hard time reading the Word of God, understanding it, or you know, losing focus, well, it is a discipline. And I think that uh, just like any discipline, if you're struggling with that, do it over and over and over again for several days in a row, and you might see a difference. You know, you don't, I mean, there's times where my mind is on other things, but the, the discipline and the habit of sitting down and reading the Word of God, you can retrain your mind, and you'll be shocked after a few days how you hunger for it. And you start to desire it. You can't wait to open it and see what God's going to show you today. And it's our life source. It's everything. And it's, it'd be hard. I don't understand it. You know, it'd be hard to call yourself a Christian and not really know what Christianity is based on. I mean, it, it's the Word of God is our foundation. It's everything. And I know a lot of people say, well, they're Christian, but I'm not sure they even know what's in the book. It's like they don't ever spend any time reading it uh, and if, you, if you're going to say your life is based on it, then you, you've got to know what's in it, right? You've got to be dedicated to it. So we're taking our time. We're going through the book of Acts, and we've been going kind of slow. It's taken us a few semesters, and we're not going to finish this semester, I don't think. But I, I think it's good because we go through it, and we take time, and we meditate it, meditate on it. And uh, I believe God's speaking to us. Amen? So Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we're going to... Focus on a very, just short few verses and passages tonight. This, this uh, story that happens here has always fascinated me. And it's, it's whenever Paul and Barnabas separate, you know, and it's over John Mark, uh, who was Barnabas's cousin. And the reason it fascinates me is because you have really three sort of juggernauts of, of uh, you know, the Christian faith that... They're strong men of God, and yet they have this division and offense, and they separate over this issue. And so it's always fascinated me because why couldn't, you know, so much of Christianity is about reconciliation, forgiveness, 
you know, overlooking a wrong, overlooking a fault. If you read a lot of Paul's letters, um, so much of that, you know, over, overlooking a wrong and, and uh, considering others better than yourselves and, you know, so, so much of that kind of talk. And then yet you have three very, very godly people that just could not see eye to eye and then end up separating. And it's always fascinated me because it's one of those things I just, I wish we had more information about because the Bible doesn't really seem to take a side on who was wrong or right. It just kind of tells the story. And you almost wish the Bible would say, you know, and Barnabas was wrong and went away and left Paul, but it doesn't say that. And so you kind of left to figure it out and read through it. And so we're going to just spend some time studying, studying it tonight. I do think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and we'll just look at some of them as we go through. So verse 36, and after some days, now remember what's happened here. This is after the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas had. And remember I showed you the map. They went through uh, and then circled back. And, and all those areas that they planted church and shared the gospel, they, they came back to Antioch. They've been there a while. Uh, doing the work of the ministry, and then we get to verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. This is that first missionary journey, saying, hey, let's go back on the same route and let's visit some of the churches and people that got saved and things like that. So let us return and visit those cities and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. Now, if you remember the map that I showed you, I don't think we have it tonight. I didn't ask him to show it. But if you remember the map, that was just right at the beginning. So it was a one-year journey. And just a couple stops in, John Mark bows out. And he says, "I'm for whatever reason, we're actually not told the reason why that he, he bowed out. But Paul didn't think that he should have bowed out. Paul obviously thought that he should have continued, that he should have pressed through, that he should have showed a little more grit. And so he's not happy that that happened. So Barnabas wanted to take John again. He wants to give John a second chance. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. In other words, he didn't finish. He quit on us. Paul doesn't want to take a quitter. Verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You know, uh, i got so many points I want to make about this tonight, um, but this kind of thing happens in our lives, doesn't it, sometimes? I know it happens in the ministry, and I've seen it happen in the ministry since I was a child. You know, people that work together, serve together, minister together for some years, maybe even have a lot of fruit, then there's just that there's an issue that you just can't get over or can't see eye to eye on, or for whatever reason, they separate, and now they don't really work together anymore, and that's heartbreaking. You know, and that happens in our lives, right? You, you sometimes, if you can look back through the years of your life, you can think sometimes of people that you were real close to in one season of your life, and then, then the next season, you're not close to them. And maybe sometimes you look back. I, I know I'm speaking from my own experience. Sometimes you look back and you go, 
man, I, I really enjoyed that time of my life with them. That was a great time. Uh, why, I wonder why we don't talk anymore. I wonder, you know, what happened. And in a few instances I can think about, yeah, there probably was a little feathers ruffled, you know, or somebody got offended over something. And then looking back, it's like, well, it's not really that big a deal, you know, and sometimes you try to reach out and you, you try to restore it, you try to reconcile, and it doesn't always work out. And, and even if you do get back together, it's, it's never the way it was in the beginning. It's always different. It just never is quite the way that it, that it was. And these kinds of things happen. It's, it's, a fallen, it's part of the fallen world that we live in. It's part of a, of a sinful world. It's part of the fact that we are in a war. I mean, that, that's really what Christianity is. That's, that's what our time here on this earth is. We are in a war, and there are casualties of war. And, and one of those casualties is relationships sometimes. And that, that, you know, that happens. Sometimes relationships break down even though one side is fighting, fighting, fighting to, to keep it together, and they're doing everything in their power to, to keep the reconciliation and to keep the relationship, but the other side doesn't want anything to do with it either because they're offended, maybe they've gotten deceived, maybe they've turned away from the Lord. There could be a lot of you know, factors, but one of the things that I've learned in ministry and I've certainly learned from this passage is that many times who you started with is not who you will finish with. And that's heartbreaking. It can be heartbreaking. But it's a reality. It's a reality of life, and it's a reality of your Christian walk. It's a reality of, of ministry. You know, who you start with is not always who you finish with. And again, that can be heartbreaking. I know when we started this church, there's, there's only a handful of people that are in this church from, from when we started the church, and most of them are family. <laughs> They'd have to disown me, you know. To, but most, a lot of the ones that were here in the very beginning, you know, 12 years ago when we started, are, are not here now. And I remember when we started the church, that was one of the things several, my pastor from Shreveport, Sam Carr, and, and other ministers that had been in the ministry for a while, they told me that. They said, who you start with is not... Who are you going to finish with, just so you know? Because, you know, you'd be all excited and you'd say, man, we had this many people on this Sunday and this year one. You know, we had this many people show up. And they said, okay, just remember, the people that you start with are not the people you're going to finish with. And I was like, what is that? What? No, they're going to stick around. They're going to love me and love God, love the church. It's going to be great. Well, that's not really how it turned out. They were, they were right. And um, one of the things that I endeavored in my heart and life, because I grew up in church seeing a lot of negativity surrounding this issue, Almost like if somebody separated from a church, and maybe some of you have had this experience, like if you left a church, it was like you're an evil, you know, you're a demon, you're an evil person, and you know, if you're not with us, you're against us type thing, and people talk about you, and like you're, you know, the Antichrist or something, you know, you left. And I never wanted our church to be like that. So we, stri we strive, we do strive, and we have, what's the word, striven, strove? But anyway, whatever that is really hard to not let that happen, um, and that if people leave or separate, we want to make sure they know, hey, you're a child of God, I'm a child of God, we love you, there's a call of God on your life, there's a call of God on my life, go where God's called you, do what God's called you to do, we're not the only church in town, we're not the only ministry, I'm not the only pastor, just, you know, go and be fruitful, wish the absolute best for you, and truly, no hard feelings, no, no anything, even if I think you're wrong, or even if I think you're not supposed to leave... I would 
you know, and, and that's, that was another issue I had growing up in the ministry was, man, is there no room for people to make mistakes? It was like, even if it was wrong that this person left or separated, is there no room to make mistakes in the, in the kingdom? I mean, if, if, even if somebody's wrong, should, aren't we supposed to pray for our enemies even? So if another brother and sister in Christ, uh, we have a difference or they, they leave, they get offended even and leave. Hey, we, we just pray that they repent and get it right and that they go on with their life and do the will of God and do the call of God for their life. And so I hope that we've done that here. I think it's, uh, I think it's important that, that everyone who attends here think like that. But we don't have the mentality that of, man, this is the only church in town, and if you leave this church, man, you, you just, you know, you're on the outside. I don't even know if you're a real Christian, you know, if you leave this. That's just not our mentality. Uh, we want the best for every person and even have helped people find other places to be. And if it's not working here, if it's not fitting, you know, we, we want to help people do that. And, it, and it, some of it stems from what we're talking about, talking about here is understanding that sometimes there's going to be a separation. And again, you have three people here that Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark that all had a strong call of God on their life, but they could not, they could not come together on this issue. Who was right? Well, that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. So first we're going to look at Paul's perspective. And I have to admit right up front that I lean more towards Paul's perspective, okay? I just naturally, this makes a lot more sense to me. But let's look at both sides and just understand it. So Paul's perspective. First, you have to understand that Paul is an elite soldier for Jesus Christ. If they had like Navy SEALs in the kingdom of God or Green Berets or something like that, that's Paul. That's his mentality. Could go through anything, endure anything, and almost like the harder it was, the, the more amped up he got. And, and the harder it was, the more persecution, the more difficulty. Far from discouraging him, it fueled him. And you even see it when he wasn't saved. You see it as a Pharisee, too, when like all the resistance from the Christians, when they stone. Stephen, and then they, they spread out across the country. He gets a group together. He chases them down to other cities. He's arresting them everywhere he goes. He, he just had that fire in the gut, and he had it when he was not saved, and he had it when he was saved. It was like that, that crazy wild man that he was as a Pharisee. When he got born again, he just turned that all for God, turned it all for the, the kingdom. And so this, this, this concept and this idea of quit, because it got hard, it just didn't register to him. Because he had, he's almost, you know, he just had no quit in him. So if you remember the trip that they were on, all right? So the first missionary journey that they were on went about the time that John Mark quit. So they'd had tremendous opposition, demonic opposition. And then they even had, remember the unbelieving Jews were following them from city to city. They were chasing them. They were opposing them uh, everywhere they went. Paul ends up getting stoned to death. Again, we're just trying to understand his mentality. They take Paul out of the city and they, they stone him almost to death with stones. They leave him for dead. He gets up. He goes back in the city. He goes back into the same city where he was just stoned. He finishes. I don't know how long it took him to recover from that. You know, 
Because we have people call in all the time. Oh, I'm not feeling good. You know, I'm not coming tonight. This, that, and the people, you know, have made commitments and can't follow through because the littlest, slightest, anything. I'm just saying Paul's mentality, he would have a hard time with that. He don't understand that. The man got beat almost to death, smashed almost to death with stones. Okay, there's no, in, there's no indication from Scripture that God miraculously healed him. He just got up, mangled, bloody. Kept going, finished the missionary journey. On the way, uh, to, on the missionary journey, they could have looped around back to Antioch, but they went back the same path they came, stopping at every church along the way, visiting the brothers and the churches they'd planted all the way back home while he was in that condition. So you could see his, his sympathy for somebody bowing out after, and di- that didn't even experience, you might as well say, 5%. Of what he went through, he, he couldn't understand that. that. That didn't make sense. But here's the bigger thing, and this is what the, the Scripture uh, said, is it's not only, well, I don't have any respect for you because you couldn't finish. It's also that you're, you are going to endanger the trip. Because, see, and I've done this. I've been on some missionary trips, but other things like when I, I've told you before, I used to lead some backpacking trips and things like that. And the harder the trip is, the more difficult the trip is, the more of a liability a person becomes when they're on the trip. In other words, if they want to quit and you're out in the middle of the wilderness and they're whining the whole time, now you can't focus on the trip. You've got to focus on this person and taking care of them and, you know, nannying them and taking care of them. And Paul didn't want that. He said that was a distraction. That was an issue the first time. And we're not going to deal, we're not going to deal with that again. 1 Corinthians 6, 4, listen to what Paul said. And I'm, as we go through this, we're not just studying the Word of God for knowledge and, and information. All of these things we're talking about applies because how many of you believe that we could benefit from some more people in the body of Christ that had that same spirit that Paul the Apostle had? I mean... We, we, the body of Christ could greatly benefit from having a few more soldiers that thought like Paul the Apostle. And that's needed today, and a lot more would get done if we had that. So we're kind of studying his mentality and how he thought. 1 Corinthians 6, 4, uh, Paul said this, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown, yet we are well known. As dying, and behold, we live as punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many others rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. So he's just giving you a little insight into how he spends his life. You get, you get a, even a little more insight into Paul. Uh, and I forget exactly where it is, what, what chapter, but I believe it's in Second Corinthians where he's talking about whether or not people should get married or not. <laughs> At his, his, this shows you his mindset. He said, look, if you just have to get married, 
All right, go on and get married. But you're going to be more useful for the kingdom if you just stay single. Why? Because when you get married, you're going to have to start thinking about your wife. But if you just get married, you could just spend all that time thinking about God. So that's how he, that was his level of intensity and probably one of the reasons why Paul did not get married. That, that's just how intense he was. I'm not that intense. That's just saying that's who Paul was. So 2 Corinthians uh, 11 23, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians about, really he's trying to explain to them how much he loves them and how much he has sacrificed for them because these others are coming in and they're deceiving them and they, the, it's almost like the Corinthians are respecting them more than they do Paul. And so he's kind of making a case and he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. <laughs> it's funny. He says, I'm talking like a madman, I know, but with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me and of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not an indignant? So he's explained to them, this is all that I've gone through and I've gone through it for you. That's what he's explained to the Corinthians. But what we see when we see that is, man, a, a man who was willing to go through all of that, right? He's, he's been beat with rods, beat with whips, three times shipwrecked, one time adrift at sea for a day and a night. He's drifting on a piece of driftwood out at sea. He didn't even mention snake bit. Maybe that came later, but, you know, he got, he got snake bit too. So he's just, a, we just say he's a beast. You know, he's a machine. So somebody who that's their mentality cannot relate to a John Mark. They just can't relate. How, you know, you just went through that much, and I've been through this much. I, you can't, I, can't, I can't relate to you on that. We're going to continue. Look, Acts 20, verse 23. And now, behold, he's telling the church there. He says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So you see this just intensity, this, this passion, this focus. He says, the Holy Spirit has already shown me every city I go to, nothing awaits me but affliction and imprisonment. So he had just hardened his mind, hardened his, himself to go, yeah, that's what's waiting, and I'm going forward anyway. You know why? Because I don't even count my life as precious or valuable. The only reason I'm still here and the only reason I'm still doing it is so that I can finish my course 
and do what the Lord has called me to do. And that was Paul's, that was Paul's mentality. So he was tough as nails. He was tough as nails. The other reason, the other thing that Paul was thinking about, as I said, is he had this mentality that the mission comes before any individual. In other words, the mission is more important. The, the, mission, is the, the, uh, the mission is more important than any one person or any one individual, including himself. Paul, he was willing to sacrifice even himself and his own life in order for the mission. So he's not, gonna, he's not going to sacrifice the mission for John Mark, even though he probably loved John Mark and wanted the best for John Mark. He can't put the individual above and ahead of the mission. The mission was more important than any one person. And even if that person was him, he considered the mission to be more important. Again, I say, man, I think the kingdom could use a few more, a few more people like that. And uh, maybe God will bring a few to one life. You know, Hey, maybe there's already some, some here. Now, it was for this reason that and you, again, you could take this for what you want. You know, maybe some people think, because I've learned this about people in church, that you have people that they're not like this to this degree. I've never known anybody like this. But they're, they're, they're bent more like this. And then you have people that naturally, they identify with Barnabas right off the bat. They go, man, why wouldn't you give the guy another second chance, you know? And, and they relate totally to Barnabas. And we're going to look at Barnabas' uh, viewpoint in just a minute here. But I, I think that God puts all kinds of people in the body of Christ and that you need all kinds of people. Man, if everybody in the body of Christ looked like Paul, I mean, the church wouldn't be a very friendly place, I don't think. I don't, I don't think it would be the friendliest of places. And I, I think there, uh, there would be a lot of people excluded, a lot of people, you know, on the outside. But you can see the value of a person like that. But it's not the only way to do things. And I, and I think probably for all of us in here, you're probably going to find yourself identifying more with Paul or more with Barnabas because you're wired, you know, more like that. And I've known all kinds of people like that because uh, I am more wired towards, not saying I'm like Paul, I'm just saying I'm, I'm more wired that way. And I've, you know, done ministry with people that think more like Barnabas and there is that frustration. There is that headbutting that happens. Because in any given situation, do you lay down the law and hold the standard, or do you show mercy and do you show grace? Who, which way is right? Well, I think Ecclesiastes told us that in any, in any season, either one could be right, depending on the season. So you gotta, you got you to gotta be sensitive to that. But it was for this reason that... Paul the Apostle had many companions. It's not like Paul, it's not like Barnabas would be <laughs> the last person to separate from Paul. Paul had many companions and he didn't have any of them very long. There was only really one that stuck with him through most of the ministry. Maybe two because Luke was with him for a long time as well. But Timothy, who was like a son to him, stuck by Paul almost through everything. But everybody else, it was like a revolving door. Either, not even saying that they had, you know, 
differences, uh, not even saying that they had like divisions or bad blood between them, just saying not everybody was cut out to do what Paul did for decade after decade, year after year after year, because Paul's ministry was almost 30 years. So most people, did, they were not cut out to stick with Paul for long periods of time. So he went through companions and sidekicks pretty quickly. Most people would be with him for a year or two, and then they were on to something else. They got some good training, good discipleship. Then they went on to something else because they couldn't hack it just year after year after year. Plus, if they had families or they were married or they had kids or maybe jobs or whatever else, it was, you know, challenging. But just to give you an idea, here are the list that the Bible gives of all of Paul's companions. Now, not all of them traveled with Paul, but these are all people that are mentioned by name in the New Testament that he worked with. And I think I counted 15 of them that actually did travel with him. So he had a lot of traveling companions. So number one was Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, Luke, Timothy, Erastus, Aristarchus, Gaius, Trophimus, Tychus, Demas, Epaphras, Jason, Onesimus, Sothenes, Lydia, Priscilla and Aquila, Junia, Philemon, Theophilus, Justus, Titus, and Cretans. That's 23 people named in the New Testament that worked with Paul, and I think I counted 15, if that was the right number, I think 15 actually traveled with him at some point. And again, Barnabas was not the first person to separate from him. He talks about it sometimes. At one time he was talking to Timothy, and he said, let's see if I wrote that scripture down. Yeah. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.9, he said, uh, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So he had three of them leave him. He said, oh, they've all left me. <laughs> and it didn't faze him. I mean, that's, you know, he's used to being stoned and beaten, shipwrecked and everything else. But he went through people. Uh, and it was hard for him to find anybody that could stick it out with him and, and, and cut it. And again, you could see why God used him. You could see why God called him. You could see why God picked him on the road to Damascus. You could see why God called him to write almost two-thirds of the New Testament. You could see why he's probably one of the most impactful Christians that the world has ever known. Um, and, it, and it has a lot to do with that. But sometimes, and this is important for all of us to recognize, sometimes the thing that is our greatest strength and the, the thing that, is, uh, that we're used with and that's our greatest strength is also the thing that can repel other people away from us or it could be a negative too. In other words, there's another flip side to it that may annoy or offend other people, but it's the thing that, that, uh, that God uses. You know, uh, I think it was a proverb. I can't remember which one it was, but when one of the proverbs that Solomon wrote he said, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but basically this is just a paraphrase. Basically what he was saying was, without an ox, the stall is clean. But with an ox, you get a lot of work done in the field. So he's saying there's two sides to it, right? You want a clean, nice, tidy stall, don't have an ox. But if you get an ox, you're going to have problems, but you're going to get a lot of work done and you're going to get a lot accomplished. And that was Paul to the T. He was 
there were issues, there were pro- there were issues because of his personality was so abrasive and so strong. How could it not be offended? How could he not run over people? How could he not push people to the side? Because he was so mission-minded that he was going to get the job done no matter what. I don't care if it killed you, me, everybody. I, we're going to get the job done. That was his, how strong his mentality was. So I think the goal is not for us to necessarily be like Paul. I think the, the goal is to figure out how we are wired. And if, if God's wired you more like Paul, then learn from his example. Uh, most people, though, have a little bit of a balance between Paul and Barnabas. You know? And uh, I think that that's probably necessary. All right, let's look at Barnabas's perspective. So from Barnabas' from Barnabas's perspective, first of all, let's look at what became of John Mark. Because John Mark, uh, when Barnabas, Barnabas decided to pull him under his wing, what became of John Mark? Well, first of all, we know that Paul and John Mark reconciled. We also know... And I, and I don't necessarily have time to get into all of, you know, every little thing that we know where it's at in Scripture and all of that tonight. But 2 Timothy 4.9, I actually read this to you a minute ago when Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is left with me. And he tells Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for the ministry. Second Timothy was written about 20 years after the first event where John Mark left him. So this is 20 years later, and now Paul is saying, Mark is very useful to me in the ministry. Please bring him when you come. So we know that they reconciled. We know that John Mark stayed in the ministry. We know he kept serving God. We know he kept you know, being very effective. We know that John Mark became a disciple of Peter and that, that Peter discipled personally John Mark and that the gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. So one of the four gospels ends up getting written by the guy that Paul wrote off. Now again, I, not that necessarily Paul wrote him off, but he said, you know, I ain't got time to fool with him. We're, we're going on to something else. And Barnabas said, no, he's valuable. No, you know, we're going to invest in him. We're going to spend time with him. I see potential in him. He's young. He's immature. I'm going to spend time investing in him because I see something in him that you don't see in him. And so he took time with John Mark, and who knows? Like I said, John Mark ended up staying in the ministry, being very useful to Paul, being a disciple of Peter, ends up writing the book of Mark, which the gospel of Mark, I mean, really... A lot of people say, say it this way, and I would tend to agree. The gospel of Mark really could be called the gospel of Peter because Mark wasn't there. Mark wasn't a disciple. All he did was write down what Peter was telling him. Everything that is in the gospel of Mark is, is directly from Peter. So really the gospel of Mark is the gospel of Peter, but we, we call it the gospel of Mark, which is fine. doesn't matter. Paul, Mark wrote it. But actually, all of Paul's letters were dictated to someone else. I mean, if, if we're going to start calling the letters in the New Testament, you know, something that somebody, just because they wrote it, is well, it was Paul's letters. He's just dictating it to someone else. 
And really, that is the gospel of Mark. It's, Peter was there. He was the one firsthand, knew it, saw it. He's relaying that to Mark, and Mark's writing the gospel. But so Mark obviously was very useful, not only to Paul, useful to the kingdom, useful to God. So, so, uh, so Barnabas, God used that gift that Barnabas had because remember Barnabas was called the son of encouragement and that was his gift and what's kind of ironic here now I know I'm kind of showing both sides but and I do tend to lean towards Paul's perspective on that issue but what's ironic is if you remember in the very very beginning of Paul's ministry everybody had kind of given up on Paul in other words, nobody really wanted anything to do with Paul. He was too much of a risk. He was too dangerous. The churches didn't know yet if they could believe him. And so Peter and James and John and those guys, they distanced themselves from Paul. And it was Barnabas that came and pulled Paul out. So ironically, you have the guy who came and pulled you out when nobody wanted anything to do with you. And now you're doing the same thing to, to John Mark, even though I agree with Paul's thinking and reasoning it's just ironic that that's happening. So Barnabas was the one that pulled Paul out and kind of, you know, mentored him and, and believed in him and pushed him, you know, introduced him to the leaders at Antioch and all that. Barnabas was so instrumental in all of that. Um, and then now when Paul is in this place, you know, that's just not his gift. That's not what Paul does. Paul, Paul does not, nobody called Paul son of encouragement. All right, that was not his gift. Paul had a whole different gift. <laughs> his gift was not son of encouragement, but Barnabas's was. And so I, I tend to look at Mark's life and think this could have been a defining moment for Mark where he never was in the ministry again. If it, think if Barnabas hadn't been there. Think if it had just been Paul, Paul and John Mark. No telling what Paul would have said to him. He'd have went home crying to mama. You know, Paul said this about me. I, I don't think I'm ever even going to be in. Paul said he don't even think I'm cut out for ministry. I think I'm just going to, you know, go make, make a tents or, you know, cook little shish kebabs on the side of the road or something because Paul said I'm not cut out for ministry. You know, I think he, he, who knows if Barnabas hadn't been there to scoop him up and say, that's Paul. He's intense. But, hey, you have a call of God on your life. You're still useful to God. There's still things that God wants to do with you. You know, if Barnabas hadn't been there, you don't really know what would have happened to John Mark. So again, praise God that, you know, you have both types of people in the church and in the kingdom of God. So Barnabas is an encourager. He, he's the guy that, he's, he's not going to put the mission ahead of an individual. And again, it's hard to say who's right, you know, which one is right. Paul, he's going to sacrifice the person for the mission. I just gave you a list of 23 people that were sacrificed in order for Paul to do his work and his mission. Not all of them were sacrificed. Some of them he continued to work with and all this. It's not like he had bad relationship with all of them. But, yeah, there, Paul did kind of leave a wake of relationships and people behind him in order to do the call. Barnabas is more like no man left behind. You know, he's going to, 
if we got to take it slow, if it takes us something we could accomplish in a year, but now it's going to take us five years because I got to slow down and take care of John Mark and take care of this one. You know, he's very pastoral, very compassionate, very nurturing. That's, that's Barnabas. And again, I mean, it, you just, you need both people. You need both types of people in the body of Christ. So from Barnabas's perspective, you know, it says that there was a sharp disagreement. Now, if you look at Paul and Barnabas's relationship, it would appear from Scripture that it was kind of like a 50-50 relationship. You know, if Paul had been over Barnabas, then it just seems like Barnabas should have said, well, I think we ought to do this, but you're the boss, you know, whatever. But it doesn't seem like that was the relationship. From the very beginning, it almost seemed like Barnabas is the one who came in and kind of led Paul some in the beginning. But, you know, you can imagine Paul was very hard to lead and probably was not able to do that for very long. But eventually, so I don't think Barnabas saw himself under Paul because if he did, he probably would have just yielded on this issue. But I think it was like a 50-50 partnership. And I can understand... Barnabas's perspective, and it's a perspective that you know all of us should have to a degree, because I, I, and I could just imagine the sharp disagreement that they had, the type of things that Barnabas would have been saying to him, because the most logical place for Barnabas to go is, hold on a minute, the whole gospel, the whole thing that we're preaching, is a gospel of mercy, forgiveness, second chances. You know, and Bar- and Paul is saying he can have all the second chances he wants with God, but he ain't coming with me because he ruined the trip last time. Let him go talk to God about it. God will forgive him, but I'm moving on. You know, that was how Paul would have been thinking about it. So, you know, who was who was right? Well, I think that they were both right. You know, I I don't think it's almost like what happened needed to happen. It was like Paul needed to continue and go on and do what he was doing, and he didn't need John Mark to do it. But John Mark needed to learn a lesson, and Barnabas was the one to kind of be there and pastor him and help him and, and you know, and carry him through it. But uh, the gospel is filled with moments like this. You know, think about Peter. He denies Christ three times, and his life isn't over. His ministry isn't over. He's not, it's not like he's no longer useful to God. You know, Jesus comes and he says, hey, do you love me? Okay, go do what you're called to do. Go feed my sheep. And, you know, Peter's all down. He's condemned about it. He feels horrible about what he did. And Jesus says, look, pick yourself back up and, and, and keep going. You made a mistake. You got, you got off, but you got to pick yourself back up. And it's the Barnabases of the church that come alongside those people and they, they help them, and they, and they push through, and they raise them back up, and they restore them, and they help them have a, you know, a redemptive moment of what was, a, what was a big mistake. But the Paul, the Paul, of, Paul the apostles of the church are the, the hammers. You know, they're the people that go, and they just get stuff done that nobody else would get done, and they do it in a time frame that is no one else could do. And they push and they, and they fight. And you see both sides of that even in God. God's a God of mercy. He's a God of justice. He's a God of, 
of uh, standards and rules and laws, but he's a God of mercy and forgiveness. And you see, you see both sides of it. So I think, you know, in the church, we, we have to have both types of people. And I think also, according to Ecclesiastes, you know, it depends on what season you're in and what the moment is. I, a lot of times people look at a situation and they say, well, you should have just walked in love towards that person. Well, you can't really, you can't really say that because the Bible says there's a time to love, there's a time to hate. The Bible says there's a time, this is Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to embrace, there's a time to refrain from embracing. Well, how do you know when to do which one? Well, the, the circumstance dictates it, but also wisdom dictates it, and also the leading of the Spirit on the inside of you dictates it. So should a person be forgiven and just brought back in every single time they make a mistake? No, not every time. And, and so one person who's very merciful and loving and compassionate, they look at a situation and they go, well, man, you should have shown them love and compassion and, and forgiveness. Well, the Bible says there's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. What about even with our, with our children? We know this. There's a time to enforce discipline. There's a time to give mercy. There's a time to you know, hold the standard because they, they need to learn a lesson that's going to be with them the rest of their life. And there's a time to show the mercy and say, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you and we're going to get through this and it's going to be just fine. But there's no right answer for every situ- situation every single time. We have to use wisdom and we have to be led by the Spirit. I've had... I've had, uh, you know, times in the church where we've had to make decisions as a church, hard decisions, you know, things that maybe, you know, some people in the church knew about or situations that got handled. And sometimes people have thoughts. They go, well, but usually they don't have the whole story. They don't have all the information, but they just, they see something that happened. They go, well, you know, maybe this should have been done this way or that. Well, again, uh, there's plenty, plenty of times in the church that people get mercy, forgiveness, arms open wide, and then there's times that people don't get that. And there, there are reasons for that. And it's hard to look at, you know, a, a situation like that and go, well, this is how it ought to be done every time. Well, that's just not life. <laughs> that, that's not reality. Actually, depending on the situation and depending on what's going on, and, and, and even depending on the person that is being dealt with, it has to be handled a different, you know, different ways. Every situation is different. It has to be handled differently. And so what I think we should learn from this and, you know, take these things and apply it to our, to our own life is, how has God wired me? You know, and that's a question we should be asking ourselves. How's God wired me? Okay, if he's wired me more like Paul, then how do I balance that with some of Barnabas, you know, love, mercy, compassion. And if he's wired me more like Barnabas, then how do I incorporate some of the, some of the Paul and go, okay, I'm already naturally good at this, but this is where I might be weak over here. Because I think any, any leader, any Christian, you know, almost has to have both. Now, one of the things I learned from this passage is it it does, now, while Barnabas and Paul did not work together again, you can clearly see if John Mark loved Paul and continued to work with Paul and they had a relationship later, then it's clear to me that Barnabas did not badmouth Paul to John Mark. 
if you know how like if parents divorce and they got step parent, they're bad mouthing the parents, and you know now the kid turning the kid against them. It could be clear that that wasn't happening because if John, if Barnabas had done that, John Mark would not have been close to Paul in later years. So, so there is a way a godly way to separate, go different paths, go different directions, but still love, respect, support. And man, I wish there was more of that in the body of Christ. I mean, I've seen some things in the body of Christ in my time in ministry and in, and in church that just shouldn't be. You know, well, they're, you know, and, and then the differences happen. You know, well, they think like this and they believe this way. So what? So what? There is a higher law than that, you know, the law of love. There is a higher law that supersedes a lot of our differences in our division. I think it is one of the saddest things on the planet how divided the church of Jesus Christ is. It really is one of the saddest things that we have so many churches in, in every, you know, you'll drive through some cities and it's like there's 400 churches in that city and those pastors may never even speak to each other, never even talk to each other. It shouldn't be like that, you know. And I, and I think that we can't be responsible for what everybody else is doing. We can only do what we do. But it's one of the reasons why, you know, we have the relationship with Global Impact, Pastor Cedric, that we do. And there's other pastors in town as well. Um, one of the things the Lord led me to do when we started this church was to begin praying for other pastors in this city on Saturday night or Sunday morning before our service to begin praying for those pastors. And I call them by name and I call their churches and I, I pray for them. And what I pray for them is what I would want to happen here. In other words, I want our church to be filled. I want our church to have salvations. I want our church to experience revival. I want the Holy Spirit to be in our church. I want the Holy, I want the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom to minister the Word of God. I want to have plenty of workers and volunteers and finances to do everything that God's called me to do. So, so I pray that for them. And I've always meant it, but through the years, the longer that I've prayed it, the more that that is, that is truly my heart for them. And my mindset is... The work needs to be done. It doesn't really matter who does it. You know, if, if there's another church in town that is having more fruit and doing a better job than us, but people are getting saved and reached for the kingdom and, and heaven's expanding because of it, then so be it. That's, that's, isn't, that what we're, isn't that what we want? I mean, it, it's not about who's doing it. And, it, and so if there's someone who's doing it well and they're reaching the, and they're expanding the kingdom, more power to them. We'll help you any way we can to just do what you're doing. And then we'll do what we do. You know, we'll do what God's called us to do also. But it's, it's one of the saddest things that in the body of Christ that, you know, churches are, are divided like that. It just, it shouldn't be. We have to, like Paul and Barnabas. We have to know how to have differences, but still support each other, still believe in each other, you know, still be there for each other if we need it. And uh, that's one of my prayers. And that was one of Jesus' prayers, that his, his sons and daughters, that his disciples would be united, that they would be one as he is one with the Father. That was one of his prayers. So I, I think it's important 
as believers that we think like that and that we do pray for other churches, other pastors, other believers. Doesn't matter if we think different. Well, you know, you got the Catholic this and the Baptist that and the Pentecostal this. My hope and prayer is that all of them are going to be in heaven and they're all going to be giving glory to Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. And however they're bringing people in, I pray for them. If they need to adjust or they need a tweak, then I pray for them that God will help them. And I pray that when we need to see a tweak, that God will help us. You know, because I don't think anybody's just doing it perfect, you know, with no, no mistakes or just has perfect clarity and vision on every single thing. But so, so and I hope that if we're ever missing something or that if we're wrong or we're off in an error, then I hope people are praying for us, that we get it right and we, and we make it right with the Lord. So we're not in competition with anybody. We're on the same team. And I'm preaching to the choir. I know y'all all think like that and, and feel like that. But, but that, that is a passion, I would say, of our church is, man, if we can help somebody else do what they're called to do, like if we can empower you to do what you do more effectively, either, you know, through some support or finances or sending teams, you know, whatever, we, we're all for and have done it over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, one of the relationships that we have the strongest is with Pastor Cedric in his church. And we have helped them do so many things that God's called them to do. The way I look at that relationship is, because they started their church 10 years before ours. The way I look at that relationship is, they were already doing what God called them to do. And then God brought us to just help fuel that a little bit more. You know, and it doesn't matter if anybody knows about it. doesn't matter if anybody gets credit for it. That, that's not the point at all. It's just they're doing the work of God. And so if we can be part of it, praise God. And that's our missionaries, too, that we support, you know, all over the world. We, we support them to help them. Don't need anything in return. You know, don't expect anything in return. We just want you to be successful and you flourish and you reach. You know, some of our missionaries, I guess they've experienced this. But, you know, they'll, they'll call or they'll text me every now and then. Oh, I hadn't checked in with you in a while. You know, just want to check in, see how you're doing. And, you know, I've told some of them in the past, look, you could not hear from me. You could not hear from me for five years. I'm still going to help you. I'm still going to. It's not based on that. It's not fickle like that. It's not, oh, I got to check in and make sure, you know, you keep this relationship. Listen, we, we didn't start supporting you because of that. And we're not going to stop supporting you because we haven't had it. We started supporting you, and we made a partnership with you because the Lord led us to do it. And until the Lord leads us not to do it, there's nothing that could change that, you know. So we, we support and we help. Well, when we do that, there are things that we go without here, right? Because, I mean, there's things that we could do with that money. There's things we could buy, things we could do, you know, projects we could finish, but we send money to them because why? We're all part of one kingdom. But the mindset sometimes is, well, we got to keep it here because we have stuff to do. No, we're all actually on the same team. So when we help them and they get something done and then we don't get it done here, the kingdom's still growing, even if it's halfway across, you know, the country. So that has to be the mentality. All this ties in, you know, because the the... The differences that Paul and Barnabas had, we still have them in the body of Christ. People see things differently. They do things differently. But 
I think it's so important for us to have unity as the body of Christ and not just like tolerate brothers and sisters in Christ, like, oh, you know, they think different. They don't believe the same way we do, whatever. Well, I just wonder how God thinks about it. Because I don't think God is looking at anybody who's trying to serve him and trying to build his kingdom and trying to bring more people into his kingdom and that he's somehow against them because they don't think just right on something. If anything, you know, God can help them adjust their their thinking and, and, and help them with those areas that they're maybe not right in, and again, help us, too. 